Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we talk about the Detroit Pistons' back-to-back meaningless losses. Ben Gulker and I talk about Blake Griffin's newly limited offensive arsenal, preach patience with Killian Hayes' play, and look at Jeremy Grant's two-way impact. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Happy holidays, Ben. Happy holidays to you, Laz, to everyone listening, no matter what you are or are not celebrating. Hope this season is treating you well in the craziness of 2020, and Happy New Year right around the corner as well. Yeah, I mean, I uh, it's funny to me because... Uh, we don't get New Year's Eve off of work uh, this year, and uh, that never made sense to me anyway. Like, why would you like, get New Year's Eve off when, like, all you do for New Year's Eve is, like, go someplace at night, but <laughs> uh, not during working hours? But anyway, that's <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, instead of the holidays, we probably sh- should talk about the Pistons. I don't know. Maybe we should talk about the holidays instead of the Pistons. Uh <laughs> Pistons went 0 and 2 this week. Uh that's not that's not a surprise. Uh two lo- two close losses, maybe that's a bit of a surprise. Um but right now I think the biggest thing uh that people are frustrated with is that the Pistons are losing games in the way that you feared they would lose games in the preseason, Ben. Yeah, that's a bummer. You know, I I don't want to overreact because it is only two games. Um there's a long way between now and the end of the season and a whole lot of things can still happen. So I don't want to overreact, but I also think it's fair to evaluate these two games in the larger context of, you know, the way doing Casey has coached the Pistons in the past. And uh, yeah, it was really disappointing. Um, I think for me, the way I would describe it is these were really meaningless losses uh, because they lost the games the way that they lost them. Uh, when you've got a bunch of, a mix of veterans who you kind of know who they are. And then you've got this mix of young guys who are still becoming and emerging. You you know, there's just, there's only one way to learn and there's only one thing to learn and it's not who are these veterans and what are they going to react like in, in close games. And I kind of chronicled in our notes, the list of faults (laughs) that we saw in the last two minutes of the Minnesota game and the, the, the airing of grievances. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, the, the Cleveland game, it was, it was like deja vu at the end of the fourth quarter, then the end of the first overtime, the end of the second overtime. It's like, how many times could they blow this, this game? And look, I'm not going to recount it all because I think I was just a little salty when I was making notes, but <laughs> I mean, we all watch these games. Um, you know, the, 
if if they had won these games with the veterans, then you had two meaningless wins. Um, if if you lose these games with the veterans, you get meaningless losses, right? Because how many games you win this season shouldn't be the goal. It shouldn't it shouldn't be the driver of evaluation of outcomes. So if you win, so what? You had some veterans who played well enough to beat two crappy teams. Big deal, right? If you lose these two games, you're learning what you should already know, which is your veterans aren't good enough to win a whole lot of games. <laughs> and in both scenarios, you've got young players who could really benefit from this crunch time experience really early in their careers. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, we didn't get to see it. And again, something I'm not going to rehash is the entire offseason, but it just makes the offseason all the more puzzling. And it makes me wonder, like, do we have do we have Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey on the same page here? Or do we have these two guys, um, you know, when when the rubber meets the road, not really on the same page about where this franchise ought to be? And again, not going to overreact. It's only two games. But I think it's fair to be frustrated and critical of the way this all played out. Yeah. And I understand conceptually, like, why you would push so hard to win uh, these first two games from, like, a, from Dwayne Casey's perspective. Uh, because when I look at the rest of the schedule, I don't see very many other winnable games. And, you know, I talked about this a little bit, you know, after the game yesterday, but in some ways I think uh, it'll be easier to watch. It'll be easier to stomach these games where they lose by 20 because you will see the rookies or you hopefully should see the rookies uh, and the young guys play more in those games just because like, there's no point in playing, you know, Derek Rose and Blake Griffin in a game that's not, uh, close. Um, we talked a little bit you know, in previous podcasts about how uh, they wanted to avoid the um, like having like a losing atmosphere in the locker room. How having like losing juju is like bad for the for the locker room. Um, but then they also kind of talked up that they brought in like all these high character guys who wouldn't get impacted by losing. And it sounded like Blake Griffin and Jeremy Grant were pretty frustrated with the loss on Saturday. So it's just, it's, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird situation. Um, I do think like these, these, uh, these games have some meaning, but the meaning isn't good. Um, We're learning things about the vets that we kind of didn't know going in, right? We didn't know exactly what Blake Griffin, for example, would look like coming into this season because we hadn't seen him play basketball in a year. And our answer is that he looks pretty limited. He's he's, uh, capable of doing certain things offensively, but just uh, very incapable and not very uh, attentive uh, defensively. He's but uh, on the other hand, he's averaging almost 40 minutes a night. So uh, so that's cool. (laughs) Ben, (laughs) uh, what what have you seen uh, out of Blake in these two games? Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. I'm I'm very concerned, honestly. Um, during the preseason, to me, it didn't look like he was um, getting very vertical at all. I, I'm not sure if he even had a dunk in the preseason. Maybe not to me. my recollection. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he's had a dunk in the first two games. So he doesn't look like he's getting up off the ground very well, and that's concerning. Um, he shot the ball really well from three, in particular against Cleveland. So he ended up with. Uh, 26 points on eight of 16 from three. That's obviously not going to be sustainable night in, night out. 
Um, and the only other thing he's really had in his offense, so he's had these, these sort of off-the-dribble threes and he's had spot-up threes coming from other people's penetration or ball movement. And, and really all, all the other opportunities he's had is, I don't know, this sort of weird back your guy down, turn over your shoulder and throw up what's not quite a hook shot, not quite a jump shot where he doesn't really get any elevation. And it, it just doesn't look good to me. So I'm definitely concerned um, about where he's at physically. Uh, and you talked about almost 40 minutes a night. I mean, gosh, that's just going to wear, wear the man down. Um, it can't be good for him and the rest of his tenure in Detroit, whatever that might be. It can't be good for elevating his value in terms of potentially looking to trade him. Um, defensively, I, you know, you called this out in the preseason. He looked disinterested. Um, you know, other than a handful of plays that stick out to me, I know he did draw a charge late. I think it was in the Cleveland game. Um, you know, he looks a lot less interested in defense than he did two seasons ago, uh, with, you know, where he was really the heart and soul of the team. So, uh, you know, his numbers, if you just looked at his box scores, they don't look all that bad. I mean, 15 and seven, and then I think it was 26 and I forget how many rebounds he had 26 and six four assists, three steals, like all that looks okay. But just on the court to me, I don't know, man, he just doesn't look like the Blake Griffin of old. That's for sure. Yeah. And it shows up the lack of like verticality that you talked about shows up more in like what he doesn't want to do mm-hmm. in my mind, right? He doesn't want to drive. Um, and uh, he doesn't want to try and like finish through contact. We saw him take uh, one, uh, like he he didn't he made like one I think non three field goal in the game against Cleveland, and it was a like a four or five pick and roll with him and Plumley, and he took uh, Andre all the way to the basket. But like again, that even that was like a below the rim finish that he just like uh, that he like had more cra- craft than like uh, explosiveness on that play. Um, the and like with that. Uh, like now that we can kind of see that we're not going to get the Blake of two years ago, um, as far as, you know, being able to, uh, hurt you offensively in a a myriad of ways. I I think that poses problems, uh, for the roster just because like, uh, they're going to keep playing him. Like, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Blake Griffin's not going to play, you know, at least 30 minutes a night, but, uh, his inability to kind of like make sudden decisions makes him like a less optimal pick and roll partner for Killian Hayes. And that's something that they've really tried to uh, emphasize in the preseason and in the, uh, and in the regular season, it makes him a less optimal pick and roll partner for Derek Rose, which is something that they tried to go to in the game against Cleveland. Um, and, you know, with not very good results for the most part, um, you know, to to kind of transition that into Derrick Rose and what uh, what happened down the stretch of the Cleveland game, you know it it was kind of typical Derrick Rose, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. We've been accused of like not uh, fully embracing ever what Derrick has to offer, but like this Derrick Rose always kind of plays the same way. It's just whether or not the the shots go in, or you know whether or not he's got defenders at the rim, or whether or not. Um, He's able to get to uh, like his his uh, his like mid range jumper, whether or not the floaters go, um, and and so it's it's really hard to it's really hard for me to be like mad at Derrick Rose for the for what happened in the Cleveland game just because you know he had a bad night and like that is what a bad Derrick Rose night looks like and, and I've seen those before, um, but I am kind of concerned that he's 
playing a lot. Uh, him more so than Blake. You know, he was managed to stay healthy last year. Um, I think they the team did a better job of managing his minutes, and that you know made him uh, continue to be productive as the year went on. Um, you know, Ben Rose is gonna play more than Killian. Uh, that's not unexpected. But when do you think we see kind of that flip? When do you think we see Killian perhaps playing, you know, the same number of minutes as Derrick Rose or even more minutes in some cases? Well, he hasn't played well, right? I think. Yeah, um, and we're, and we're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I don't have a problem with Casey, an objection to Casey having this philosophy that young guys got to earn it. I don't, I don't like fundamentally or philosophically disagree with that. And with, with Killian, um, you know, to me, I'm seeing the same things out of him, out of him in the season as I saw in the preseason. And that's just he's not able to get a shot to to fall really from anywhere, even when he's able to get himself decent looks. Um, and has, he's made some, you know, not not terrible mistakes, but you know, rookie point guard kind of mistakes that have led to too many turnovers. So, you know, I, I think you got to see some of those. Um, shots, maybe especially in the paint, start to drop a little bit. And I think he's got to get a handle on his turnovers a little bit before he plays um, more than Derrick Rose. But, you know, my mind can't help but go to the worst case scenario, which is Derrick Rose getting hurt <laughs> if that were to happen. Like, obviously, Killian Hayes is going to play more. And with the way they're running Derrick Rose right now, like, I I mean, I'm worried about that. Um, you know, 33 minutes, again, it's a double overtime game, so it stretches out a little bit. But you know, 33 minutes and 26 minutes, you know, I, I like to see him stay under that 28 minute game or like 25 a game, you know? So, um, yeah, he's playing too much. I, I just, I do think Killian's clearly not there, uh, yet. And I think that's probably going to be what flips the switch when Killian turns a little bit of a corner. I, you know, I would expect the minutes to change kind of in the same way. Yeah. Actually, let, let's, let's transition to Killian then. Um, you, like you, you mentioned, and I think everybody has seen, um, I've seen a lot of complaints. Killian has not been very good, uh, to start the year. You, you can see what he does. Well, he has made, um, people are going to get sick of me saying this, but he has made some really nice passes. Uh, he mm-hmm. made a really nice outlet pass to uh, Mason Plumley in the Timberwolves game. That would have been like a major highlight for anybody else. Um, he made a really nice like whip pass to Jeremy Grant cutting baseline and Jeremy Grant got fouled. So it wasn't an, an assist and kind of a uh, ruined like the highlight potential. And so you, you do very clearly see like what um, he's able to offer, like even at an NBA level with that skill. But like you, like you mentioned, Ben, he's also had some pretty poor turnovers. Um, the ones even like, not even I'm thinking about the ones uh, before the, the, back-to-back turnovers in Minnesota where like Ricky Rubio kind of surprised him uh, in the backcourt, wrong-footed him and like made him travel. Or, uh, you know, he's, uh, he started, uh, I think in the first quarter against Cleveland, he like jumped without a plan. It was like, he faked a, faked a pass and like faked a shot. And it was like, Oh, I kind of have to do something before I land threw up a floater that didn't go. And so like you, you understand why like uh, Killian Hayes has not necessarily like earned a lot of minutes um in in Dwayne Casey's mind but I've also seen like some preemptive like Killian Hayes is worse than Brandon Brandon Knight Killian Hayes is worse than Rodney Stuckey comparisons and it's like that that's just like not true like if Brandon Knight uh if Brandon Knight ever made that uh 
that pass to Jeremy Grant, like he would still be in the league, right? Uh, so it's just it's it's tough. Um, and Ben, I, I gotta I gotta ask, how do we how do we help other people be more patient, um, have the same level of patience that apparently the coaching staff does for a 19 year old point guard playing the highest level of basketball he's ever played in his life? Yeah, well, first of all, get out of here with the Brandon Knight comparisons. I, that is not going to work for me. Uh, Brandon Knight's point guard instincts never existed. Um, and Killian's already significantly ad- ahead of him in that front. Just and that's just instinctual and, and raw talent level. Like those aren't even those aren't even coachable sorts of things. Killian already has those things. In terms of patience, I mean, remember he's 19. But I think you know, encouraging to me. So things that are encouraging to me when I watch him play. Um, let's stick with the Brandon Knight comparison. Brandon Knight basically had two speeds to me. It was either on or off. It was all. All gas, no brakes, or all brakes. Killian is very much uh, more nuanced than that. So when he has the ball in his hands, um, you mentioned a, a significant outlet pass that he made. So he, he's got a decent sense of when when can he push the ball a little bit and when can he slow it down. Um, when he's attacking in the half court off the dribble, uh, I, I actually think his dribble drive game is is very strong for a 19-year-old kid. And I think his ability to get his shot is is really good for a 19-year-old kid. So to me, like when I watch him play, and I, I see those just raw like things that you can't coach up in a player already there at 19. That's hugely encouraging to me. Uh, you also mentioned some fantastic highlight real sorts of passes. That speaks to his vision. Uh, he sees the floor really well. And look, I think, you, you know, you talked about the turnovers, the Ricky Rubio turnovers, a really good example of this. He's just adapting to the most athletic level of play, uh, the highest level of basketball on the planet right now. And he, he you know, he's, it's unlike anything he's faced and it's been what four preseason games and two regular season games. So those, those turnovers were things I was completely expecting. So to me, you know, if I'm going to try to persuade people, to be patient with Killian Hayes, um, I would say recalibrate your expectations a little bit. When those turnovers happen, just write them off as rookie point guard mistakes. Don't try to project three years into the future off of what he's doing in games three, four, five, and six, right? When it, with respect to turnovers. And when he's got the ball in his hands, look at where he's able to get on the court and look how effortless it looks for him so much of the time, in spite of whether he makes the floater or doesn't, right? Um, you know, he, he gets to his spot so well. He gets there effortlessly. Um, he doesn't rush into those positions. He just sort of takes his time, uh, you know, sizes his man up, rocks him to sleep, and gets where he wants to go. Uh, finishing is going to take time. You know, it, it's probably a year away. Let's be real about it. Um, adapting to NBA defenses and not having those silly turnovers like you have in the backcourt because you get wrong-footed, as you put it. That's going to take probably a little less time. So just recalibrate your expectations. Let the turnovers happen and just let them go. Uh, and, and watch what he's able to do with the basketball and pay attention to the the highlight reel passes because he's certainly going to have more of those. Yeah, I think you brought up something too about in, in your comparison uh, of Brandon Knight about Knight not really having like point guard instincts. I think that uh, a lot of people... Uh, I don't, you know, if we're being honest, like, you know, not a lot of people were watching Ulm, like Rachel Farm Ulm games. They didn't really see Killian play. You just see highlights. Um, 
And I think people expected him to be a little bit more of a, a scorer or a guy with like scoring instincts and like, and no, like that's, he's a, he's a guy who makes other guys better. Like, right. He's a, he's an amplifier. Um, he can score. And I think you definitely see his uh, scoring aggression, like come in bursts, right? Like he scored, um, he scored all of his points in the Minnesota game in like a five minute span. Um, you see him, uh, you saw in the preseason, like he attacked relentlessly the the second uh, Washington preseason game uh, out of the gate just because he knew he had a matchup in uh, in Neto that he could get to. And so I think he, I think right now it's also about finding a, a balance for him about when to, when to score and when to distribute. And it's not helping. I think that some of his shots aren't falling. He's still able to create space and get the shots that he wants to get those shots just you know aren't going in right now and so for him i i would assume that he's having a little bit of trouble deciding like is this is like is my process good and my results just should not showing up or uh is like something wrong with my process i need to be like thinking i need to be looking to score more often i need to be trying to like if they switch with me and blake i need to be taking more bigs off the dribble and stuff so I like there's a lot of there's a lot of moving variables in in a young point guard's mind. So you can understand like why he would struggle out of the gate. But um yeah, you you see the vision and you see, as Ben mentioned, his ability to get to where he wants to go on the court. Um and it's just like if if I can't convince you that like he's better than Brandon Knight, then it's like I just can't convince you <laughs> that he's better. Like I'm I'm sorry. And so, like, yeah, I think it's only two games. We're going to have to be patient. We will, I think, see him play more effectively once he gets some shots to fall. Um, I think we'll see him play some more in the coming week when the Pistons lose some of these games by double digits and he just, you know, plays more often. Um, and so hopefully that is able to help uh, get him into a rhythm. Speaking of rhythms, a guy I have, like, zero a clue rhythm for I have no like scope or standard Jaleel Okafor just continues to confound me and my eyes by he looks so bad defensively but every time I stare at the box score he's got like eight points on four shots and like six rebounds he was like minus two in the Minnesota game he was actually like plus nine in this limited minutes against Cleveland as I just, he just continues to, to confuse me. He got hurt. He didn't practice today, actually, which uh, we should note. Dwayne Casey noted that uh, he didn't practice and uh, his press availability that happened like basically right as we started recording this. Um, so it's, it's possible we see Isaiah Stewart. It's possible, uh, you know, we don't. But like, but Ben, like, what do you make of Jaleel Okafor? Because I got nothing. My 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 brain and my eyes are just like confused by Jaleel Okafor uh, and what and what he's doing. Yeah, well, I'll say I've paid more attention to his offense than his defense. I found the defense as a whole pretty hard to watch. <laughs> so <laughs> I think there's a part of me that kind of like tunes it out just a little bit, no matter who's out there. Um, no, offensively, I think you you see some of the the footwork and. Um, ability to out quick big men that made him an interesting prospect prospect a few years ago. Um, and he's certainly been active, right? Like he comes off the bench and it sounds cliche, but he's just so active, um, at least offensively and on the glass. Um, so I've been a fan of what he's done offensively. He's had some 
really nice finishes. Uh, you're right. He's super productive in little in limited minutes. If you're watching the box score, right? Six and four in 18 minutes. And I think eight and seven or something like that against Minnesota in 15 ish minutes, something like that. Also, uh, not afraid to commit some fouls <laughs> nope. in, in, in limited minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is, is he more than a 15 minute a night big? Eh. Defensively, I don't think you can count on him for long stretches. So that probably is the limiting factor. Um, but offensively and on the glass, I liked what I've seen so far. Uh, yeah, I think the other thing that's kind of been difficult for me to evaluate him defensively is that they're using him to uh like because he's playing with the bench and the bench is more uh long-limbed athletic athletic guys they're using him to to trap and cause havoc more and that is just like not what you want him to do defensively you don't need him like hedging at 28 feet but on the other hand like he's he was uh they had him in in a more conservative coverage at times against Cleveland. They had him in drop coverage and he didn't look good there either. And so it's like maybe you just like let him cause some havoc and try and get back into the play, or maybe you just like maybe you just let him stand near the rim and uh hold his arms up. So it's just it's it's a tough eval, man. I don't know what to do with Jaleel Okafor. He just confounds me. One dude that uh doesn't confound me is Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant's been actually not that bad. Um he's done some interesting things as a uh a guy who's attacking the rim i know that was something that we were concerned about uh during the preseason but uh it's turned out uh, fine so far it's less fine in the post um but that like that's also kind of just like the price of what uh what he wanted to do um i know i i think that will get better as he gets uh, more reps at it but uh it's not like as long as it doesn't remain the bulk of like what he does offensively, I'm I'm still fine with it. Um, he rebounded well against Cleveland. Sean Corp, uh, fearless leader, noted that on Twitter, and uh, that is good to see because he was not very effective as a rebounder in Denver. But one of the things that I have seen that I think would make him less effective as a rebounder, uh, Ben Dwayne Casey had him on like uh, had him on D'Angelo Russell and had him on Colin Sexton. Had him on like small guards uh, <laughs> defending the perimeter. Like, is is that the best way to use Jeremy Grant defensively? <laughs> uh, it's a way to use him defensively, I guess. I would not have predicted that. <laughs> That's for sure. Unless it's, you know, design switch or something. Um, yeah, I mean, I got to be fair about rebounding. He did have one rebound against Minnesota. So let's. That's fair. Let, let's be fair, right? His game against Cleveland. Let's hope that the game against Cleveland was like sort of breaking out of the funk in this new role, right? Like, I want to abandon the Jeremy Grant post-up experiment before it gets um, – it starts to remind me of the Andre Drummond post-up experiment that went on for <laughs> way too long. I just – I don't know. I, I cringe. But, no, he looked – I mean, against Cleveland in particular, he looked – comfortable for the first time to me like in the preseason he looked so awkward and forced and unnatural um he looked overall comfortable offensively 28 and 10 uh, shot a high percentage was kind of all over the place defensively including covering guards because clearly our guards can't defend still right like I mean that was particularly on display against Cleveland late in the game um Sexton and and Garland just kind of did whatever they wanted late. Um, so I guess maybe it's sort of your last resort to throw your best, most versatile defender 
onto the guards and, and hope <laughs> that something good happens. Um, but no, I mean, look, I was skeptical about Jeremy Grant. Um, if he continues to do the kinds of things he did, particularly in that Cleveland game, and it doesn't like it doesn't have to be twenty eight and ten. It can be eighteen and eight, right? Like, shoot shoot the ball well, um, take good shots, right? Like, get high percentage looks. He got eight free throws. Right? He got to the line eight times. Like, there was a lot to be pleased about. Three blocks too. As I'm looking at the box score, that sort of speaks to how all over the place he was defensively. Uh, yeah, I was super pleased. I really enjoyed watching him, and I hope we see um, him continue to just get more comfortable offensively. Um, because again, one game out of, out of the six that we've seen so far to my eye, anyway, he really looked uh, comfortable with the ball in his hands, which, which is huge. Yeah. I will say at least like the thing with the Andre Drummond post-ups and the thing that is kind of good about the Jeremy is the, one of the very, very few good things about the Jeremy Grant post-ups is that, uh, he gets fouled on them and he's a better free throw shooter than Drummond ever was. And like you mentioned, he got to the line eight times. He made six of them. I think that's like a a fair uh, estimation of like what will happen if Jeremy Garrett goes to the line eight times a game, which probably won't happen. But uh, if it does, like he'll probably make about six or seven of them. And so, yeah, he he's just more efficient. He had two more points than Blake on seven fewer shots. Right. And they he shot eight fewer threes and had the you know had two more points. Um, I am fully okay with the uh, idea of letting Jeremy Grant uh, experiment to see what he's capable of doing offensively, especially if we continue to have like this version of Blake Griffin, right? If we have like this version of Blake Griffin, who's really only good as a pull-up shooter and as a, um, as a post-up threat, then like, yeah, like maybe it's time to see Jeremy Grant do some more stuff. Um, as a spot up shooter, maybe it's time to see uh, Jeremy Grant have more opportunities. Like as a role man, um, we can get him in DHOs attacking downhill. He flashed um, a really nice finish off of a DHO uh, with his left or was it? I don't remember if it was the left or the right, but he had a really nice finish uh, in the game against Cleveland. Um, he's able to get out in transition. He's just a very versatile player. And so, you know, I understand why you would want to invest in a guy with that level of uh, defensive and offensive versatility. And so if Jeremy Grant is going to um, if he's going to play up to the value of that contract, you, you got to let him try. Right. And if it's not working elsewhere offensively, like, you know, let's see what Jeremy Grant's got. Um, I, I hope that continues. This one have been, it's been one of the few things, uh, during that Cleveland game that I found myself saying, like, I wish I saw more of like Jeremy Grant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ben, one more guy I wanted to talk about was, uh, Svi Luke. Um, you know, noted shooter Svi Luke has gone one from eight and one for six from three in his first two games. Um, He's, uh, you know, we trust that the shots probably going to come around uh, and the offense is not going to look very good when your best three point shooter goes two for 14 over two games. Um, but the thing that's concerned me about Svi is uh, in some matchups that probably weren't uh, extremely advantageous for him in Anthony Edwards and Colin Sexton. Uh, he still looked like he kind of regressed defensively from uh, where he was last year. And, you know, when Sadiq Bey got 
into the game. I think Sadiq only played like six minutes, so it wasn't uh, a huge amount of time. But it was it was Fee's spot that he was taking, um, which is uh, a little bit of a surprise again, considering what uh, Svi is supposed to offer you offensively. Um, and so, Ben, which do you think comes around faster, uh, Svi's shot or, or his defense? Well, I think it's going to have to be a shot, just because I think that's what he's just naturally much better at. Um, you know, I kind of preseason was kind of thinking he was the team's best shooting guard, but I think DeLon Wright has pretty thoroughly outplayed him so far. Um, Some of that's just a cold stretch. I mean, when you're a guy who is shooting, you know, three or four times as many threes than you are twos, you're going to have patches of games where you just can't, you just can't find your, your shot doesn't work out. Um, And as you said, when that happens, it's just not going to look good for him. Um, You know, defensively, I, you're not going to play against Cleveland's backcourt every night, which is a good thing because they actually have, a, I think, an emerging and interesting young backcourt there that's developing. Um, so, you know, I don't think he's going to get ex- exposed as much as he potentially or as much as he did uh, against Cleveland. Um, but, you know, I, I think a year ago last, last season, um, you know, I, I don't know that I would have called him a good defender, but I would have called him adequate. Um, and I still, I mean, I still think that's there. I still think that's there for him and he's going to find that. Um, but certainly at least under Dwayne Casey, if, if that's the ceiling for him defensively, you know, then the ceiling for his minutes, isn't going to be a whole lot higher than, than what it is right now. And that's unfortunate, especially when he's not making shots. Yeah. You, you brought up something that I didn't really think about, but it's definitely true. And that Delon Wright has like thoroughly outplayed him on both ends to start the year, which uh, is a surprise given the preseason, but hey, like you know, that small sample size and uh, just increasing comfort with with the guys you're playing with. Um, but yeah, like Svi is getting good shots, right? As long as he's getting open shots, uh, he's a you know he shot near forty percent from three at uh, at every level anytime he's gotten consistent minutes, and so I have no reason to think that that won't turn around soon. Um, and you know, knowing knowing shooters. Uh, the likelihood of Svi like turning it around with like a five for five or six for six night is pretty likely. Yeah, and so we'll we'll kind of just wait on that. But uh, the defensive concerns, I think you're right uh, to call him uh, to call his defense like adequate. Um, I wonder if if uh, Dwayne Casey complimented Sadiq Bay's uh, practice habits and complimented the way he practiced uh, the last couple of days, and so that's why he uh, he put Sadiq in into the game. Um, I wonder if if like Sadiq is able to uh, replicate what Svi offers from like a catch and shoot three perspective offensively and just be like a, a better defender because he's taller and longer and stronger. Then uh, I, I do wonder if that will eat into Svi's minutes, um, which would be unfortunate because he is like a really great shooter. And, you know, this shooting is such a is going to be so hard to come by, like for this team. Um, that's that's going to be tough. But yeah, I, I think Svi comes around on offensively sooner rather than later. Uh, all right, Ben. Uh, one, uh, one. We have one uh, piece of transaction news: the uh, Pistons signed Frank Jackson to a two-way contract, or they they plan to sign Frank Jackson to a two-way contract. I don't know if they've made it official yet or not. What do you think about Frank Jackson? Any any Frank Jackson thoughts? <laughs> Haven't watched a lot of Frank Jackson, but I will say. Um, the stat that makes me a little bit worried about his ability to become a, a third string NBA point guard or maybe a second string NBA point guard, 
his career turnover rate is higher than his career assist rate. And it's been like that in each of his two NBA seasons. So uh, that's not a great sign if you're trying to make it as an NBA point guard. So, you know, maybe there's more to him than that. Laz, you've probably watched him play a lot more than me. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, you've got to find a third point guard. Like you look at the roster right now. And uh, you got to know that Derrick Rose's minutes are going to drop at some point and that he's going to miss some games, even if it's just for rest purposes. And uh, who are they going to play at third point guard right now? So I'm completely fine with them having, you know, a couple point guards as their two way guys. That makes sense to me. I'm I appreciate the fact that you think that I watch Frank Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'm a I'm a deep NBA guy, but even I am not like fully well versed in what uh, Frank Jackson, uh, you know, brought to the uh, New Orleans Pelicans for the last couple of years. Uh, shout out uh, Mbijewick, the uh, our DBB, our new writer at Detroit Bad Boys. He had a nice uh, Frank Jackson like primer for everybody. I highly encourage you to go and read that if you really desperately need your your Frank Jackson news. Um, I actually thought. It was a. I actually think it's a little bit of a misallocation of resources to use both your two-way spots on point guards. Like uh, even if Derrick Rose gets hurt, right? Like you can't play both of those guys. You can play one, not the other. Um, and so it it sets them up to be in in competition with one another. So like that is probably good from like a practice standpoint. But uh, yeah, it feels like there are, you know, if you're looking for things that this team needs that could be. Uh, procured on the two-way contract like this team needs shooting much much more than it needs uh, another ball handler and you know we've got we've got killing hayes uh we got delon wright as a guy who uh, i fully expect like if something were to happen to derrick rose would step up and like become the the primary backup uh, point guard for this team and based on the way he's played so far like that you know that that would work out just fine for the pistons um you know Saban Lee, they relaxed the rules on two ways a little bit. And so uh, he can be with the team, I think, more often than he would be able to uh, last year. Uh, And so, like, you know, maybe he plays, maybe he doesn't. He never uh, did anything that, like, overly impressed me in the preseason. But, you know, he could he could end up being good. And so, yeah, I thought they should have used that spot differently than another point guard prospect. But uh, I guess if you if you don't trust a rookie and you expect something bad to happen to to the point guard, you just want to be prepared. It's it's fine, and it's not again like two way guys don't play that often, and so like it's not it's probably not going to come up. But it is just like another case of them uh, choosing to uh, choosing to implement like their vision over what classically would be like the best way to like maximize every like little thing that you're doing for the roster. All right, Ben. Uh, the Pistons play the Atlanta Hawks on Monday. They play the Golden State Warriors, the 0-2 Golden State Warriors on Tuesday, and then the Celtics Friday and Sunday. The Sunday game is a 3 p.m. game, so God bless. We do not have to record like at like 9 o'clock after, <laughs> after a 7 p.m. game. Um, so normally I would ask you how many games they would win this week, but that seems like a futile question, like given – what's going to happen a lot this season and so i i got to think of a new question so how do do you think how do you how do you feel about will they play a close game this week (laughs) that's actually a a much more interesting question um i hate all of these matchups um (laughs) trey young is just gonna feast 
Like, I mean, he's aver- he's just shooting his mind, shooting out of his mind already to start this season. So, I don't like that Atlanta matchup. I don't know the full story on Kemba Walker's injury, but even if the Celtics don't have Kemba, they've got Tatum and um, Jalen Brown. So those and those guys are just they're both so good. Um, watch them on Christmas, and they're they're both so good. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't like any of these games, and of course the Warriors they are really bad right now, but they have Steph Curry and Steph Curry is going to feast on Killian or Derek Rose, or maybe Jeremy Grant. We'll see. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't, I'm not looking forward to any real close games. I don't, I don't think they have any particularly advantageous situations over the next four. So I think it could be by the time we talk a week from now, it could be a really sad podcast. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think, if we see Jeremy Grant defend Steph Curry, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a, a slight conniption. That's gonna be fun. Uh, there's there's a chance um, there's a chance that Warriors game is close. The Warriors are not uh, they've played two very good opponents, and that's part of the reason why they're 0 two. But they've also lost both of those games by a really uh, really staggering amounts against those quality opponents. And so you you have to wonder like what's going on there. Um, Andrew Wiggins has had a really poor start to the year. I think I think I saw a stat on uh, on Twitter that Kelly Oubre like has not made a uh, non dunk field goal for the Golden State Warriors so far. So like anti Blake Griffin, yeah, that's not great. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously they they lost Marquise Chris um, to a I think it was a fractured leg uh or something which is like just really really uh tragic for him uh, obviously but you know so they'll be they'll be using kavan looney and james wiseman even more than they already were uh yeah so maybe maybe that warriors game is close it's like that that feels weird right like it was the last time we could say the the pistons would play a close game against the warriors but uh yeah that that's looking like the only game that could be uh anything resembling anything resembling close. So if, if that ends up being the case, I look forward to the Derek Rose, Steph Curry duel that, that will ensue. <laughs> All right, Ben, uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, where they can just, you know, chit chat and talk with you about, uh, how the, uh, Pistons suck this year. <laughs> well, hit me up at beer Golker. Uh, I didn't get to watch the games live this week due to, holidays but uh normally pretty active on twitter during the games like to talk about it um and hey maybe maybe i'll make it one of my goals last to convince people to be patient with killian hayes maybe that would be a worthwhile contribution to to pistons twitter and dvb this season that that is a good goal i like your uh your uh, your zeal in in that area uh if people want to follow me and uh, get more of what uh, i have to say they can do so on twitter at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e you can also listen to my other podcast the pistons versus everybody podcast which you can find on any podcast platform that you're listening to this podcast on Um, this has been the detroit bad boys podcast and we will talk to you guys next week see you